lessons thus far. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. This is J.B. Phillips. I came across this some time ago. The book of Revelation is just, you know, I love it because it shows us how things are going to end. How many know you can have hope if you know what's in your future? You know, the unknown zone, that place where you don't know what's going to happen. That's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a scary kind of a place sometimes. And it can produce fear. But God has shown us. Listen to what J.B. Phillips says, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. And it is this. He purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven and earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus is called the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth in Revelation 13, 8. What does that mean? That means uh, God knew when he created Adam and Eve that they were going to sin and mess up. He also had foreknowledge of the fact that Satan, the God of this age, that, that um, uh, bright one called Lucifer that was kicked out of heaven, kicked to the earth, that he would try to mess up God's plan to have a have a family and him be the father of that family. God understood what would happen with the curse being placed on the earth. He understood the hardships we would endure being out of fellowship with God, how our flesh would rise up, how we would struggle, how we would mistreat one another, how nations would eventually form and mistreat one another, how there would be a diabolical scheme against God for the, for the millennia of time. God, God saw all that before he created the first Adam. And then in God, Jesus, the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth in his, in, in his big plan and scheme of things. He planned to redeem all things back to himself. Jesus, we're going to see it in a minute. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. You know what that makes me feel like? You know, it makes me feel like if, uh, if God went to that extreme to plan life on earth, and then plan a plan of redemption if it messed up and he knew that it would, then that means in my daily life, he's going to take care of me. And in your daily life, how many know he's going to take care of you? So that's, that's the first theme I get out of the book of Revelation, and I think it's really cool to understand this book. Uh, and, you know, I believe God really wants us to understand it. You'll see why in just a minute. But to understand this book, you have to have a basic understanding of the Old Testament and, uh, and, and you have need to have some understanding of the New Testament. Somebody said the book of Revelation is the, somebody said the New Testament is the old revealed. The Old Testament is the new concealed. And the book of Revelation is a combination of both of them. So nonetheless, uh, we've talked about this. Uh, March 13th was part one. You can go back on our uh, website and see these things. I talked about three classifications of people, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church, and how God deals with each particular classification of people according to the Bible, March 27th, part two, there are four covenants that God has enacted in the earth. And how many know God's covenants are eternal? And so we talked about those in some detail, the Abrahamic covenant, God covenant with Abraham. And from, the, from Abraham's family, all of the earth would be blessed. The Palestinian covenant, God promised that God's people would have a parcel of land in the Middle East. Uh, Israel's on part of it now. They don't have all of it yet, but one day they will. That's called the Palestinian Covenant. And the cool, really amazing thing is that the Jews that have been scattered for almost 2,000 years in the diaspora, they've come back to their land. 
uh, beginning in the early 20th century and then Israel became a nation in the middle of the 20th century. And here we are into the 21st century and Israel is a strong nation in the Middle East. They have a strong military and God's beginning to deal with the nation of Israel again since, uh, um, for, the, uh, and for the first time in the last 2,000 years, 1967, Israel uh, uh, gained um, uh, control of Jerusalem for the first time. Just amazing things have happened in our lifetime. And it seems as though when Jesus said, the generation that sees these things will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Could it be that we're the generation that will see the coming of Jesus? Study the term generation in the Bible, and it's anywhere from 40 to 60, 70, and some people think it's even a, little, a few more years than that, a generation. So could it be that we're the generation that sees the king come back? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wow. So nonetheless, the uh, Palestinian covenant, Davidic covenant, God promised that um, the seed of David would sit on the throne of Israel for eternity. And that's a tremendous promise. And then the new covenant, and that's where we come in. God cut a new covenant based on all of the promises he's made with his people in the Old Testament. God promised to cut a new covenant that we wouldn't have to go to our neighbor and say the Lord. All of us would know him because his law is not something external. He would write his law on our hearts and we would have circumcised hearts. That means we're in covenant with him. Isn't that awesome? Personally. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, 18 years old, when I came to Jesus, it was amazing. I've been sitting in a church all my life. And when he came into me in fullness, and I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the Bible became a real book with a tremendous meaning. I found out that God loved me. Uh, and it wasn't a book about God. It was God's book to me. It was his love language to me. It's his letter to me. And it is to you too. How many hear me? Just tremendous. So the new covenant. April 10th, we talked about Daniel's revelation. Daniel spent most of his life in Babylonian captivity. Uh, the, the Israelites had disobeyed God for uh, a law for 490 years. They got knocked off of their land because of disobedience. They worshiped false gods. And, and it got to the point that God said, you can't do it anymore. He knocked them off their land for 70 years. And uh, during that time, Daniel had tremendous experiences. You can read about it all through his book. And in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was a fairly old man, probably in his late 70s, uh, and uh, had um, an encounter with God, and God showed him the next 490 years of Israel's history, uh, just in a, a quick period of time. 483 of those years have already been finished, Daniel. Now, we talked about that uh, April 10th, if you want to listen to that. Uh, but there are seven years left of the time span that God showed Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 that have not yet been fulfilled. So you could say there's seven years of Jewish history yet to be fulfilled. It is, though, it is as though God had a stopwatch, a stopwatch or, or a watch, a clock, and it was ticking away. 483 years came and click, he pressed the stop button because when the Messiah came, the Jews rejected him. So he just set them aside and the church age came. And here we are, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, born by His blood, in fellowship with Him, uh, in covenant with Him. We're grafted into the family tree of God. Isn't that awesome? But one day, God's thumb's going to get back on that clock and click, and it's going to tick again for seven years. And that's where you hear, and you hear this a good bit in various ways and various places, that there's a seven year and the popular term is tribulation. But listen to me, you won't even find the seven years of tribulation in Scripture. It's not called tribulation. The last three and a half of those years is called great 
tribulation. We'll talk about that as we go through the book of Revelation. But it's seven years of, of Jacob's trouble where, where God deals with Israel for seven more years. Um, and there's a lot of questioning as to whether the church will be here during that time. And uh, God's dealt with me years and years ago. I've talked about that some. I'll talk about that some again. And I'll talk about it a little bit even today. When is the church going to leave and go to heaven in the rapture of the church? We'll talk about that in fair detail as we go through the book of Revelation. I'll touch on it a little bit tonight, but I've got to watch time as I go through this. So here's what we're going to do with the book of Revelation now. So we've spent three um, lessons just kind of laying a foundation and uh, so tonight we're actually getting into the uh, text and we're just going to exegete the book of Revelation. I mean, verse by verse by verse, go over every single verse. And it's going to take a while. Maybe Jesus will already come back by the time I get through and we'll just, maybe he can finish in heaven, you know. Or maybe we'll already know everything about it when we get there. I don't know. Nonetheless, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. So um, uh, let's go a little further here. In the notes, and I'm not going to go very far because I, I have to be careful of time, but... You know, there's a lot of different ideas about how to interpret the book of Revelation. It has a lot of uh, allegory. It's got a lot of symbolism in it. And, and, and people have different thoughts about what to do with that. And uh, I'm going to skip through my notes. Uh, Janice Finnings Dake um, annotated a Bible called uh, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible uh, in the 40s and 50s. I think it came... Uh, I think it started being produced maybe in the early 60s. I've got a copy. I got a copy in 1977. But if you can remember, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. He also has a book written in 1949 that uh, the first Bible school I attended. Uh, he has a theology book that's really thick and, and really amazing called God's Plan for Man. And I have that, and I have memorized large portions of that book in Bible school years and years ago in the 70s. But... Um, Genesis Finnings Dake, and again, let me talk about his reference Bible just a moment. If you don't have one, I would encourage you, you can find it online. They're really good. It's really small print, so if you have a hard time seeing small, you may want to get the large print edition. So they're four columns per page, and he annotates or gives notes to every verse of the Bible with history, with Hebrew words, Greek words, and just cultural things that are going on. Just things that you need to know to make the Bible come alive. How many know the Bible is not a Western book? It's an Eastern book. So the challenge with the book of Revelation is to understand that Bible, the Bible is not centered around America. The Bible centered around Jesus and his people. How many hear me? And so when you're talking about end times, end times doesn't center around America. End times center around, centers around what Jesus is doing, what God is doing, basically with the Jewish race, the Israelites, and then how we come into play with that. How many hear me? So you got to take your Western mind and set it aside if you even going to make heads or tails out of the book of Revelation. I mean, I've read some outlandish things over the years, and you probably have to. Nonetheless, Genesis Finney's Dake, Annotated Reference Bible, really great. He says this, about Bible interpretation, which I really like. He says, take the Bible literally whenever it is at all possible. When the language cannot be taken literally, then we know it's figurative. Then get the initial tr literal truth conveyed by the figurative langu language as if it were expressed in literal language without the use of figures. So it's just real simple. So, you know, it takes the Holy Spirit to help us understand what God's saying. How many know that? Uh, nonetheless, there, I've got in the notes, and I'll just barely mention this. I got this um, uh, Haley's Bible handbook. There's a bunch of handbooks that basically all say the same thing. There are four basic views when, when you're reading books. 
And I'm careful about the books I read. I read all kinds of books, books that are even antagonistic to what I believe, believe I can read now. But when I first came to the Lord, I didn't do it because it would confuse me. How many hear that? So when I first came to the Lord, listen to this. I know I'm getting off, but I feel the Holy Ghost. So listen, if you're new in the Lord, uh, find books that are really simple that can help you understand who you are in Jesus. If you need some suggestions, Go over there to our book place or come and ask me or some of my staff team and we can lead you to authors who are, who are conservative. Who, there are some liberal theologians today that would explain away the new birth, that would explain away the virgin birth, that would explain away the resurrection of Christ. How many hear me? So there's some outlandish things. There's so much in print today. How many know you got to be really careful? But let me tell you what happened to me. As I grew in God and had a foundation of the Word in my life, the first thing I did was I got a hold of the Word. I got really familiar with the Bible. I read through the Bible every year. And then as I got familiar with the Bible, I started reading books written by anointed teachers to help me grow in Christ. How many understand? And then, and then as I matured and grew, yes, I went to Bible schools. How many know you don't have to go to a Bible school to grow? And then, as I went to Bible school and then, you know, got out, and again, you don't have to go to Bible school to grow spiritually. You just need to read. And then apply what you read or you won't grow, right? So a lot of you can be in church for 50 years, still be a baby, right? So anyway, so once I did that, then I started reading books that, that I knew perhaps had some really good things in them. A lot of the theology books I read. Man, you read some of that stuff, you go, that is crazy. That man's crazy. Yeah, well, that's not true. But there's other things that's like, oh, that's good. Now, he got it there. But you got to be able to, to, to understand between the false and the, and the true. How many understand? And it takes wisdom and it takes maturity. So for a lot of years, I wasn't there yet. I got to be real with you. And I, uh, I was really careful with what I read. Even in school, I read things that I didn't want to read and some things I wish I'd never read because instead of putting faith in me, it took it out of me. If you're reading something that takes faith out of you, throw the thing away. How many hear me? Nonetheless, nonetheless, a lot of things here. There's different views. There's the symbolic view of the book of Revelation, which just simply says nothing is to be taken literally. It's all symbols, and it's just a symbol of, of good versus evil, That's, and I don't believe that. Then there's the preterist ver- view um, uh, from, uh, from the Greek word, which means past, which means everything in the book of Revelation uh, happened in the first century, and none of it is applicable to today. I've had some people very close to me as I began to talk to them when I first came to the Lord, excited about Jesus coming back, and I had one person say to me, well, you know, he's not coming back. I said, huh? No, he's already come back, huh? Well, how did they? Well, that was a preterist. They believed that everything happened first century. So, you know, I said, well, that's different. And my inner man got all kinked up when they said it. And I knew something was wrong. How many know if you'll listen to the Spirit of God when somebody's talking, you know if they're telling the truth or not? Yeah. Anyway, historical view. Uh, the historical view says that the book of Revelation happened over the whole expanse of the church age. And if you go through history and all the happenings in history, then, then uh, that's how you interpret the book of Re- Revelation. The big problem with that is people have different ideas about history and the various segments of history. So even that interpretation is quite subjective to your opinion of history. And then the last there is the futurist view. And I'll just be honest, that's, what I, that's where I land in this, which believes that, um, and I've got it in the notes here, centers the book largely around the time of Jesus coming and the end of the world. And um, 
and uh, most of it's yet to be fulfilled. So that's the futurist view. You can look at what I put in my notes there, and um, that's where I land with that. The, but really, the book of Revelation has three parts. Revelation 1.19 says this, Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which are to take place. And that's Revelation 1.19. So there are three segments to the book, if you want to look at it that way. The things which uh, you have seen, that's chapter 1, where uh, Jesus appeared and then uh, uh, to John on the Isle of Patmos, chapters 2 and 3, the things, the, the things that are now represent the seven churches in modern-day Turkey that were addressed by Jesus, and he deals with every problem that has existed in the church throughout the church age and that exists today, and we'll go through that. So, and then the things and, and what will take place thereafter. That's the third segment of the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 22. Those are things to come. So we'll cover all that. It's going to be really interesting. So turn now in your Bible to Revelation 1.1. we got a few minutes left. Y'all ready? So he says here, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he signified it by his angel to his servant John. So the word revelation itself, the Greek word is apocalypsis, and we get our word apocalypse from that. And it's really an interesting word. It's from two Greek words. The first one's apo, which means away, and then kalupsis, which means availing, or it really means to take away a veil. And so the idea is you got, got a veil on something. Maybe you're at an art show and there's a big picture by a famous artist and they got a veil on it. And then suddenly, you take the veil away. Well, that's what the book of Revelation is. So the very idea of the book and the very name of the book, Revelation, it just simply means that God wants us to understand what's going to happen in the future. The very name, an unveiling. It means that which was obscure suddenly being seen, right? So I like that part of that. So it's a revelation of Jesus and all of His splendor and all of His glory. Jesus came the first time as a, as a, as a, as a lamb of sacrifice. But how many know He's coming next time as a, as a lion? And boy, He's going to make some war. So anyway, then He says here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to Him to show His servants, things which must shortly take Place. Now, some people say, well, because all of this happened in the first century, there's a proof right there, happened in the first century, shortly take place. John was there, you know, A.D. 90, you know, 95 or whatever, wrote the book of Revelation, so it's already, that's not what he's saying there. Things which must shortly take place. You know, God had a plan, I believe in his mind, when he, um, when he showed John what was going to happen at the end of time in the book of Revelation in the unveiling, and one of God's plans was that in every portion of the church age, every generation of believers alive from the first century, he said things in such a way and Jesus worded things in such a way that every generation could have a belief system that we may see Jesus come back before we die. Now, isn't that kind of cool of God to do that? What do you think? Uh, Jesus said this, and so he never, there was no scope of time given as to exactly when it's going to happen, except to say it's going to happen shortly. So Jesus said this, John 14, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And he didn't give any time frame as to when he's coming, just said soon, shortly. Got it? And why did he do that? Well, uh, it, I think the answer is very clear. First John 3 Verses 2 and 3, this is New Living Translation. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation, that is that Jesus will appear, will keep themselves pure, just as He is pure. So if you think that Jesus could come back in your lifetime, how many know you're going to give an answer for what you do in your physical body? Uh, I've been lathered on and spit on because I say all believers will stand before Jesus and give account of what you do with yourself after salvation. And I've had people, I mean, they've written me long, long lists of things because I said that, but that's what the Bible says. We're not saved by our works, but we take our works with us. There's a book of works, and God is writing down what we do. Our sins are cleansed. Salvation's not in view. But the light that you have, the degree of the glory of God that you and I shine, that shines through us in eternity, perhaps even our position in heaven in eternity will be determined by our obedience right now. And some people have the idea that came from the hymn that I heard, the Pentecostal hymn I heard when I was a little boy. Lord, just build me a cabin in the corner of Gloria Land. I don't want a cabin in the corner. I don't want to just get in the door. I want to have a grand entrance. How about you? That means we want to fulfill our life by walking with God, keeping ourselves clean, keeping ourselves pure, keeping ourselves from the ills of our generation, and being a light that others that can shine on others. How many hear me? So Jesus appeared to, to his disciples for 40 days after his uh, death and resurrection. There was no scope of time given there when the angel spoke to the disciples there. Acts 1, 9 through 11. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud where the, while they were watching. The cloud could no, and, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here into heaven? Jesus staring into heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. There was just not a time frame given. They thought, and I'm sure John on the Isle of Patmos thought, well, Jesus is coming back maybe before I leave this island. You know, don't forget that. Think about John. I got to watch all this. I've got to look at the clock. But think about John riding on the Isle of Patmos. He was there with Jesus three and a half years. He watched Jesus die. He was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. He was there at the ascension of Christ there on the Mount of Olives. And here he is on the Isle of Patmos, and that same Jesus appears to him in his glory, unlike how he appeared to him as a man for three and for those thirty-three years. Right. So he had the idea maybe Jesus could come back uh, before I go. Verse 2 says, Who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to the, all the things that he saw. So God showed John the future, and this is uh, something we all want to remain aware of, that God sees the... Pan this is weird to think about, because we don't think this way. God sees the panorama 
of, of life as now. To God, there is no past, no present, nor future. To God, everything is now. So when he revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos, all God did was expose him. Just flashes of light to where God lives and what God sees all the time. How many know you were in him before the foundations of the world? Every day of your life was, was, was already planned before you were born. That's why you don't abort babies. Because you abort the plan of God. Anyway, boy, I want a medal and a can't. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And um, keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Verse 3, there's a special blessing on those that not just read, but how many know put into practice what they read. It's not the hearer, James said, but it's the doer that is blessed. How many hear what he's saying? Then verse 4, John to the seven churches, what you're in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So to the seven churches who are in Asia, that's Asia Minor, the historical name for Asia Minor is Anatolia, and the current name is Turkey. So it kind of creates a triangle in Turkey. If you go look at some Bible maps and all these cities are just right there, not too far from one another. And these are the seven churches that um, are addressed in the book of Revelation. And so he says, um, uh, the seven, he ends this, so John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, you know, um, when he says grace and peace, all of Paul's epistles, he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's significant that in John's writing here in the book of Revelation that he addresses again, grace and peace to you. Why, why did he say that? Well, well, he said that because because it's meant that we understand the book of Revelation. And, and, and there's grace and there's peace and, and, and God is with you and God is in you and God is working in your life. And so this is not some book that di is di differentiated from the rest of the New Testament as if it's something closed and concealed. No, there's grace and there's peace that come. And so he's greeting us in a similar way as uh, other New Testament epistles were greeted us because he wants us to know. It's another book. How many know that God wants us to understand? Then he says, uh, so he says, grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, uh, you read through the book of Revelation, the number seven comes up quite a bit. And I've got it in my notes here. Um, know uh, how many know that the number seven relates to God? It's the number of perfection in Scripture. There are some, there is some numerology in Scripture. You can take it too far and get in the ditch about it, but there's some obvious things in Scripture. And seven, the number seven is one of them. It refers to perfection. It's the number that relates to God. So you've got you've got seven lampstands, seven stars, seven angels, seven spirits, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. So over and over, you're going to see a theme as we go through the book of Revelation of uh, the number seven, and that is by design. And so again, the number seven is there, and um, 
I think that's very interesting. Then he says, the seven spirits before his throne. Well, how many know there's only one Holy Spirit? So why do you say the seven spirits? There are nuances of things that the Holy Spirit does. In fact, you know, you go back to Isaiah 11 and the prophet Isaiah, you know, over 2,500 years ago said this, and this is New Living Translation, Isaiah 11, 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, and he, he mentions seven nuances of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord, number one, will rest on him. He's the Spirit of the Lord. That he's, he represents the Lord to us. Uh, he's the presence of God. And he's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might and of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. When you understand God's holiness, it changes how you live your life. And that's the problem in American culture today. That side of God which is pure and holy and set apart, we've misunderstood the grace message, and we, don't, we haven't understood that to approach God because God is pure and because God is holy. We need to have a fear of of God, a respect for Him and His visage and His presence. So again, he talks about the seven spirits who are before His throne. How many know the Holy Spirit wants to work every one of those manifestations into us? Anyway, I feel like preaching on that, but verse 5, here we are. And from Jesus Christ, he says, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Three things that uh, are said of Jesus here. Number one, he's the faithful witness. And really, Jesus not only witnessed, talking about his teaching ministry, but he didn't just teach with his words, he taught with his life. In fact, he taught with his life all the way up to the time that he was martyred. So when it says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, that word for witness is the word where we get our word martyr. And so Jesus, up till the time of his death, he showed us the way. He taught with his life. Second, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now, there are people in Scripture that experienced um, being resurrected um, from, from the dead by him and, and by some of the Old Testament prophets and such, but they died again. But Jesus is the first one to experience resurrection others were raised from the dead jesus was resurrected from the dead and he's the firstborn of many brethren he's the first one and because jesus was resurrected from the dead that gives us hope because in our future all of us are going to die and because he resurrected and conquered death for us we don't have to live being afraid to die now here's a clue the older you get the more you're going to think about dying I mean, when you're in your teens and 20s, you think you're invincible. I watch some of these crazy people on the belt like these people. They don't think they're ever going to die. They just take one blip. And the way they're driving and going in and out, they could end their life quickly. Particularly the ones on the crazy motorcycles. Right? So people, I'm just saying, people in their teens, 20s, 30s. You know, you get older, you think, well, you know, I'm heading that direction. And nobody's immune from death. People are already always trying to come up with an elixir that prolongs life. Well, you know what? All those that have tried it are dead. Or they're going that way. 
It's just the way it is. So Jesus conquered death so that we don't have to be afraid of death. If you're afraid of death, get a hold of the fact that on the other side of death is life. And Jesus paved the way. Thirdly, He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. I don't care what happens anywhere on this planet. There is no authority greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And our allegiance is not to a man. Our allegiance will never be to a government. We obey the government. We pray for our president here in America. But you know there is a law that supersedes man's law. And it is the law of God. And the apostle said in the book of Acts, we ought to obey God rather than man. How many hear me? He's the ruler of the king of the earth. So he's the faithful witness, the firstborn and heir of all things. He's cleansed our sins. And then it says here in verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That means so be it. Made us kings. Made us kings. That means he's given us a measure of his all authority. And where we live, we can exercise spiritual authority over the demonic forces that are trying to hinder life. How many hear me? I mean, you can make a sermon out of all of this, right? He has made us kings. Now, you don't have authority over human wills. And you can't act like you've got authority over other people or you're going to have a black eye and a bloody nose. Because some people won't put up with people like that. No, Uh, He's made us kings. We have spiritual authority and priests to his God. We represent God on behalf of others. And that is one of our ministries. Every single one of us is a call to prayer. How many hear me? And if you know another person, you call to pray, right? So, So how's your prayer life? You're a king. You're a priest. Are you functioning in that priestly ministry? Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us Hebrews 7, 25 says, and we should ever live to pray on behalf of others. You know, you know what I found in my life is that if I pray for people, it keeps me from being aggravated about at them. Yes or no? When they say things, do things, or don't do things, or get in my way, or frustrate my selfishness in some way. I'm going to know if I pray for them, I'm going to know it changes me while God's moving on them. Yeah? So he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then verse 7, we got one more verse, verse 8, we'll stop tonight. Behold, he's coming with clouds, that's New King James, and every eye will see him. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth, that's the Jewish race, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Amen. John, again, here was looking at the future, and he believed that Jesus was coming then, but John was eyewitness to Jesus promising to come back. He was there on the Mount of Olives, as I said earlier before, uh, when Jesus was, uh, was uh, ascended to heaven. But he says, behold, he's coming with clouds. Now, that's interesting that he said with clouds. That's not talking about those little puffy, puffy things that you know, look like cotton in the air. That's talking about the glory of God. Listen to the references in Scripture. Daniel 7. Daniel was a seer. He saw saw the panorama of history. In fact, what we do understand about end times comes from Daniel, from Jesus, from Paul, from 
John here on the Isle of Patmos, Daniel, perhaps the, uh, one of the first. As my vision continued, Daniel seven thirteen that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, what does that mean? The glory of God surrounded him. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Acts 1.9, and saying this, He, Jesus, was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. We just read this, and they could see Him no longer again. That cloud was a manifestation of the glory of God. Matthew 17, 5, but even as He spoke, Jesus spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to Him. So again, uh, I didn't put it in the notes, but Second Chronicles, when Solomon's temple was dedicated and the, and the worshipers and singers and musicians began to sing and play their instruments and worship. The glory of God came in and, and all that Solomon could say was like a cloud. The, the glory came in and it looked like a cloud. So when Jesus comes back, he's surrounded by the glory of God. He's bright and he comes with a cloud. But it's interesting that verse 7 says, Behold, he's coming with clouds with the glory, and every eye will see him. How will every eye see him if he comes in the daylight? Or what if it's a moonlit night? How's every eye going to see him? Now, here I'm going to barely get into something. I won't have time to go into detail. Nine years ago, actually, let me think, yeah, nine years ago, I began to read for 25 years. Now, some of you won't like what I say. Um, God changed my ideas about the rapture of the church. Now, when I talk about this, some people, they want to slap my jaws. And I get that. So here's the issue. We all need to love each other, yes or no. And how many know sometimes we agree to disagree? A third of the people in America, I just read this recently, the statistics say a third of the people in America and in the Western church believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That is, before anything happens, we're going to be whisked away. We'll never see the rain, any of the reign of the Antichrist. We won't see any of the hard times. And their thesis for that is that God has not appointed us to, to wrath, but to obtain mercy by our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't go far into this except to say there is no scripture in either Old or New Testament that immunizes believers from persecution uh, by people. Yes or no? All through the New Testament, there are admonitions to hold steady, be faithful, persevere, just keep going because you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. In fact, Jesus in the Beatitudes says you're blessed if you are when people say things and do things that harm you and hurt you because you love Jesus. God said, put up with it. The reign of the Antichrist, part of the reign, part, a part of the reign of the Antichrist, we just may be here. That's not the wrath of God. I always preached. I preached for 25 years. God not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, none of us will be here during any of the reign of the Antichrist, any of the seven years of what people term the tribulation time. Uh, no, we won't be here because God's not appointed us to wrath. Well, 
He's not appointed us to experience His wrath because Jesus incurred wrath for us on our behalf. Jesus was made to be our sin and the wrath of God came upon Him and He went to hell for us and was raised from the dead for us. Is that good news? But we are not immunized when we come to Christ. We are not immunized from the wrath of man. And so just a little precursor of things I'll talk about later. First three and a half years of that seven-year period, when the, when the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel, the temple's rebuilt, the Jews start doing their sacrifices again. Those first three and a half years, the Antichrist, you know, there is persecution of both Jews and Christians worldwide. He cuts a covenant with Israel, and then midway into it, he breaks the covenant and begins to persecute them in ways that are just absolutely awful. And Jesus said, except that period of time was shortened, there would no believing flesh be saved. No Christians, no, no Jews could be saved, but because just for the elect. Some people think he's talking about the Jews when he says the elect there. He's, no, he's talking to Christians. But for the elect's sake, those days are shortened and then... Said all that to say this. Here's Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the anguish, the tribulation, the hardship of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers in heaven will be shaken. And, and then at last, the sign of the Son of Man um, is coming, will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among the people of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. And then he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth to heaven. Now, this is going to maybe challenge some of you. And we're almost done. I used to think that the rapture was imminent. That it could happen at any second of any hour of any day, right? I don't believe that now. Now that may shock you, but I can't have, find any scripture to validate that belief system. What I do see is there is a purpose and a plan to every single thing that God does. Jesus' first coming, prophets prophesied this would happen, that would happen, this person would be here, that person would be there. It happened just that way. Second coming is the same way. There's a scheme, a rhyme, and a reason to everything that God does. And when Jesus comes back the second time, there's a scheme and a rhyme and a reason. No, Jesus, for Jesus' return to be imminent means there's nothing that needs to happen before he comes. He just comes. But the scripture says there are things that are going to happen before he comes. Now again, I believed in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church and preached it strong here for 25 years until God dealt with me in 2010. And listen to this. In my reading and studying, I found a number of men and women of God who believed and taught exactly the same thing I did for long periods of time as I did, who God personally dealt with in the privacy of their own study in their own home as he did with me. And y'all, I wept my eyeballs out and I said, this can't be true. 
What have I been believing? How did I come up with this? And, and how can this be? But as I begin to examine the scriptures in new light, with, new, with just looking at the Bible itself without somebody reading into the text of scripture, I could not validate any longer the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And it looked as though we will be here for the first period of time during that seven years. And it'll be a time of hardship. You will know the Antichrist. You'll know who, who he is. Will it affect the United States? I don't know. It's according to who's politically in office and what they allow or disallow with what happens all over the earth. Uh, it may, it could. We could have some serious persecution here. I mean, it could get really, really tough. Are you ready for that? My concern is that a large portion of the church in America aren't even thinking about it. So here's my challenge. If you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, and it doesn't happen that way and the Antichrist comes and makes a covenant with Israel and the temple's rebuilt and all that stuff starts happening, persecution comes, what you going to do with yourself? You're going to be upset. Well, I was taught that I'm not going through this. Well, what if you do go through it? Well, let me say, if I'm wrong, I'll be more than happy. And on the way up and when we get to heaven, you can say, you were wrong, Pastor Mitch. I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We didn't have to go through that stuff. But if I'm right... You come to me one day and, th and say, thank you for telling me the truth. So here's what's going to happen. i got to go. So here's what's going to happen just before the rapture. And this shocked me the first time I read it. Six times in Scripture, you'll see this. The sun darkens. The moon darkens. The stars darken. Isn't that weird? I like the sun, do you? I like bright days. I have lots of windows in my house. I, I like to be outside. I like to ride my bike in the sunshine. I just like to be outside. Like, can you imagine the sun darkening? Now that's going to feel weird, right? Like with a, an eclipse of the sun, that feels weird. First one I remember, it was a Saturday at 1 o'clock when I was a little boy. I was 11 or 12. and Here's a, a solar eclipse, the sun darkened. Well, something's going to happen and the sun darkens for a period of time. The moon darkens if the sun darkens because the moon reflects the sun. And then something happens and you can't see the stars. Now, is that going to be kind of freaky? Yes. What's that the sign? What's that the sign of? Get yourself ready. Jesus is coming back soon. The other part of that is, listen to this. No, wait. The other part of that is because the sun darkens, every eye will see him. When he comes back in his glory. When the presence of God, the glory of God manifests, every eye will see Him. And His people, those, those who put Him on the cross, the Jewish race, will see Him. And in my notes I have Scripture that reveal that many of them will come to Him when they see Him. Is that not awesome? Then verse 8, I'm the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And you know what he's saying? I'm everything you need. And I'm the in-between as well. And everything you need for every day of your life is supplied by me. I'm watching over you. I deeply care for you. So as we go through the book of Revelation, you've got to understand, God deeply loves and intimately cares for every human. But those that choose rebellion, those that choose their own way, 
those that choose to cater to the flesh and culture and those that refuse to obey God will receive the judgment of God's enemy because he has no choice. His love is extended to every one of us. And his care, his grace, and his mercy, and his peace is available. But you know, God, Jesus is coming back one day to clean things up. Are you excited about it?